Welcome to Beyond Brain Tumors, a podcast where the members of the brain tumor community share their stories of hope and advocacy. We will also keep you updated on the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada's resources, programs, and services. Good afternoon and welcome to the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada podcast. Today I'm with Paul. And Paul, I'm going to leave it up to you to introduce yourself. So why don't you go ahead and do that and kind of tell us about your story. Hi, how's it going? My name is Paul. I'm uh, 31 years old and I'm from London, Ontario. I'm actually currently a volunteer at the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada. I'm a peer mentor along with I've been involved in the Brain Tumor Walks for about four years now. My story kind of starts, uh, I grew up in London, Ontario. I went to Western University and got a four-year degree in criminology and political science. I uh, then went on to Fanshawe College, got a two-year diploma in police foundations. I'm pretty involved in baseball in London. Uh, I played baseball throughout university and college and eventually through the London with the London majors. And when I was about 24 years old, I think, yeah, 24 years old, I got hired as a police officer and had the dream job. Uh, I'd met my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife. Um, and honestly, I had a, a great life going. I was happy. I was healthy. Everything was going well. And I'll never forget the day. It was February 22nd, 2018. It's my dad's birthday, actually. I was 26 years old. So I'd only been a police officer for about two years. And uh, I had a seizure right at work. And I actually crashed my police cruiser. Luckily, I wasn't hurt at all, but I'd never had a seizure before. I had no other symptoms of any type of brain tumor at all. So, Were you driving? I, I was driving. I was just, luckily, I was just pulling into a parking lot. So it was kind of a low speed collision. But uh, yeah, I just went into a parked car. So uh, luckily, Another no, police car? no real injuries. Uh, actually, I'm trying to think. It was, I think it was just a civilian car, if I remember. What all I remember is just turning into that parking lot. And the next thing I know, I'm in the back of an ambulance. So that is what wow. I've now learned. It was, was a grand mal seizure. So it was basically full lights out and I had no idea what had happened. Any signs or symptoms of seizure or anything before that at all? Nothing. I just remember now looking back at it, I remember my body turning to the right. And now what I've later learned is the brain tumor was found on my left side. So that would be my body's reaction because the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. So I just remember turning my body to the right and I knew I was in trouble and it was kind of lights out from there. Wow. But, and no uh, one was yeah. hurt. No one was hurt. I actually got one stitch on my forehead. That was the extent <laughs> of the injuries. One little stitch on my forehead. So yeah, after multiple tests, um, finally found that I was diagnosed with uh, astrocytoma brain tumor in my left frontal lobe. So obviously that was shock. I mean, I knew something was wrong, but I never would have thought of brain tumor. Basically, once I got the diagnosis, all the tests continued. Uh, the biggest battle was struggling with the seizures. I was still having some grand mal seizures, the large ones, and also some focal seizures, which are kind of isolated little ones. So talking with a neurologist and my family doctor trying to navigate, you know, what type of medications are going to stop these seizures. Obviously, as soon as that crash happened and I had my first seizure, I was off of work. Uh, I couldn't drive. And uh, yeah. What, what uh, kind of support did, did work give you? Did they support you at all? 
work, work was awesome. I mean, uh, um, that's good. Yeah, work that's was great. work was, yeah, work was very helpful. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, paperwork and stuff that, you know, on top of everything you're dealing with medically, there's a lot of, you know, work paperwork that I had to fill out, which, you know, it became tedious, but the issue I had is I was being told I had a brain tumor, but I felt healthy. I felt completely fine. It was other than having a seizure or some of these little, little mini seizures, like I call them, I was still healthy and I felt, you know, normally I think when someone thinks you have a sickness or you're off of work, there's a reason you're off work. Like I wanted to be at work. Yeah. I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't drive and we didn't know this brain tumor had to be treated. So. So as soon as you had your, your seizure uh, diagnosed with brain tumor and knew you're going to have more seizures, license was yanked, couldn't even drive to work, any of that stuff. So you were a hundred percent off, no desk duty, no anything. Nope, nothing. And then work was supportive. I mean, they knew I needed some time to kind of figure out a plan on how, what treatment was going to look like. And, you know, meeting with family doctors and neurologists and oncologists and radiologists. And it was just, there were so many appointments that logistically, I don't even think I could work. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did you handle that? Like what was, what was going on when, I mean, you can't work anymore. You're diagnosed yeah. with a brain tumor. Like how'd you handle that? The biggest thing is I can hundred percent say my family and friends were what kept me going. I mean, there were definitely times, especially when I got diagnosed, there were times when I was angry. Um, I had the why me discussions in my head. I, I would honestly say I, at one point I was depressed. Um, I'm sad, like every, every emotion you can think of and, and nervous, you know, everyone can tell you to stay off Google, but you're ultimately going to Google these things. And when you start reading this, some of the prognosis and stuff that could happen, you know, you're ultimately nervous, right? Yeah. So but you went down that rabbit hole. I did go down that rabbit hole. I don't yeah. recommend it, but, uh, yeah, but I can't stress enough how much my family helped me like throughout treatment right away. Treatment was, I uh, started in August of 2018, a couple months after the, the initial diagnosis, it was 30 days of chemo and radiation Monday to Friday. So every day I had to get a ride down. Luckily I lived in London. So all my treatment was done at uh, Victoria hospital there in the cancer center. So someone had to drive me and, you know, I never had to take a cab or beg for a ride down there. Yeah. And that was tough. I mean, but my family made it so fun. Like my sister flew home from out West. So when I was still going through treatment, we even did a little baseball road trip. I had some friends of mine create like a 30 day calendar through treatment. Literally I had to stick a sticker on how I felt that day. Like it just, it's something that kept you going. And that was kind of my motto for this whole thing is it was one step at a time, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time. Like once I got that initial diagnosis and I'm, I'm looking at like, what's my life? Can I ever be a police officer again? Can I ever drive again? I started to realize with the help of everyone, just it's one step at a time. Let's do one thing at a time and see how it goes. And like I said, we even, I wrote down here just to, to remind myself they even created t-shirts. We had like a, we had a team behind me. Everyone got a t-shirt that was part of kind of Paul's brain tumor team. We called right it uh, every day, every day we lit. So that was our, and that continues to be our brain tumor walk team name. So, but yeah, and uh, I just continued. I think they're the ones that kind of helped me just continue living life. And like I said before, even when the brain tumor, when I got the diagnosis, I still felt healthy. Luckily treatment um, went well. I, I felt good during treatment, even though I was, you know, getting chemo and I was getting radiation, I was still able to actually coach baseball and I was able to even play baseball. So that was great. 
And uh, yeah, I was kind of getting closer to starting to think about getting back to work and driving. And then in basically a year after the collision, when I had the initial seizure, there was uh, one meeting I had with the oncologist. They said there was some uncertainty on how the brain tumor was responding to some of the treatment. So uh, what does that mean? After, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I still, you know, I, and that's what I would recommend anyone do is, like I had very detailed notes, any meeting I went to, I was lucky. My mom, my mom's a nurse. Um, and she's in the, she's in the health field. So every appointment she was there to have that second set of ears and help me navigate the healthcare system. And that was huge. But yeah, once they started saying, essentially they were looking at scans, they were looking at MRI scans and they saw the brain tumor kind of swelling up. And there was basically a 50-50 uncertainty on whether this is kind of swelling that was responding, like a good thing that the brain tumor was responding to treatment well, or was this a bad thing where the brain tumor was actually growing and being agitated? So that's kind of my way to break it down in my non-medical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so ultimately the decision was made to have surgery. So I remember being, again, you go back to the emotions you feel, I was quite nervous with that, you know, basically them explaining the risks of, you know, how close the brain tumor was to my motor strip, to my speech area that would control just because the brain tumor was on the left side, control my whole right side of my body along with my speech. So I ultimately had the six hour awake craniotomy. So uh, basically awake for a lot of the parts of the surgery. Mm -hmm. I ended up being after the surgery, I was in hospital for only three days. And then I was discharged and overall the surgery went well. So you couldn't ask for as much as, you know, you're trying to get that answer of how well it went. The answer was it went well. Like we got as much as we could see and the surgery went well. So after your craniotomy, was there more chemo radiation, anything? Yeah. So after the, uh, and how it was explained to me is the surgery will get out as much as we can, but there's ultimately brain tumors. There's micro cells that still linger around. So even the initial game plan after that 30 days of radiation and chemo that I started in August, the game plan was always to have long-term chemo, which is actually taken orally through a pill for a year after. So before the surgery, I was still doing the long-term chemo and then transitioned all the way after all the way till a full year. Right. So if I had the surgery in February, I, I had chemo all the way until October. So, so this was, was this at home or were you still having to go to the cancer clinic for that? No, this is at home. So this was a, it was, I don't remember how many pills, but this was just pills I would take orally. And I just had to get the, the prescriptions. I remember I had to go down to the hospital, obviously to get the chemo medication, but luckily I was able to take this at home and I didn't have to go down to the cancer clinic all the time. And then in June of 2019, so that's basically 15 months after the initial seizure and the diagnosis, I had my driver's license back and I was cleared to go back to work. I was still on that long-term chemo. So I actually had returned to work still on chemo. And uh, that's about it. Ever, well, ever since then, it's been follow-up appointments. Uh, I get a six-month MRI. Uh, I meet with my oncologist, my neurologist my family doctor and I actually tallied it up. I'm pretty, I keep track of all these things. So I tallied it up. I'm, I'm at 17 MRIs right now and 138 appointments. Wow. 
that's from initial initial diagnosis or initial seizure to uh, to today. Wow. Yeah, I'm still on seizure medication. Um, yeah. For the foreseeable future, I just met with my neurologist recently. He said it's it's something that gives you security that you know you'll never have a seizure again. And explained to me that you know although the seizure has been removed, my brain, the two halves, the two lobes, the two sides don't look the same. So that's what causes a seizure when there's a disturbance, when there's something that looks different on one side, you know, the electricity, I'm not a doctor, but the yeah, electricity yeah. that passes between the brain, that's what causes a seizure. So there's been a surgery that's occurred in an area. So my two sides of my brain will never look the same. So there is always that chance of having a seizure. So that's why I remain on uh, seizure medication. I anticipate I'd remain on them for kind of the rest of my life. So what was, what happened? What was the procedure to get your driver's license back and return to, to, you know, full active duty? It was hard. The seizure part that was luckily I said, I, and my kind of my whole theme too, with this whole process was I relied on my, my team, my, you know, my oncologist, my neurologist, my, like their recommendations. I trusted them. They trusted me with, you know, having discussions with my family, but ultimately it was, you know, I remember having just to submit the paperwork and, you know, I'd, I'd bring certain, there was just so much paperwork, like whether it was driver's license stuff, whether it was work stuff, uh, being a police officer, obviously it's a higher risk job. So my police service wanted to make sure I had the correct, you know, documents in order to get my use of force back. And my doctors were great at just, you know, Obviously there's red tape I had to go through. I had to catch them on the certain day. You know, sometimes it got frustrating where, you know, I thought I was going to see my oncologist and I ended up seeing a resident and it's like, oh, I, I need this paperwork filled out at this time, or I need this paperwork filled out this time. But ultimately it all got done. And that's where kind of a little bit of the delays. I had a little bit of delay getting back to work because of the paperwork, the kind of the red tape behind everything. And like I said, I was eager. I wanted to get back to work. I yeah. just had only been, I'd only been a police officer for two years. So this is my dream job. And I was starting to get a handle on the job. And, uh, I just remember being, you know, at some points, you know, antsy, I kind of really wanted to get back to work and, but yeah, they just, they filled out the paperwork. I just kept submitting it. Luckily I'm, I'm pretty organized. I try and keep good logs on, on dates. I sent stuff away and dates. I, you know, if I didn't receive something in time, I would make sure I let them know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It sounds like that's really helpful, right. To, to be organized and, you know, I, I talk to people quite a bit that, that have lost their licenses, same, same situation because of seizures and, you know, they're, they're very, you know, antsy. That's a really good, really good way to put it, to get their license back and right. Because they're, they've lost their independence and, you know, they're for lack of a better word, they're not organized, you know? So it sounds like that's really helpful. I, you know, I, I know you said your mom was a big support. Did she help with that organization as well? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, I even, especially after some of my appointments now turned into the COVID appointments where they're virtual and, uh, I started recording, uh, using an audio recorder to record some of my, uh, appointments just so I could hear it back. If I missed something, I had a little book that I brought to every appointment and my mom would make a list of questions before we went in that appointment. We kind of come up with a game plan because, you know, doctors are overworked as well. Right. So you only have that certain amount of time with the doctor. And, you know, we wanted to make sure the last thing we, we hated when we walked out of appointment or like got into the car and it's like, Oh, we forgot to ask that question or what about this? And then, you know, it was nice. And then you'd be Googling stuff, which you don't want to yeah. be doing. So yeah, the rabbit hole. So, right? Uh, 
Exactly. So it was nice to have my mom, myself being organized. We both had our sheets of paper. We would both ask questions and, you know, bounce questions off each other. And then just having a mom that's in healthcare helped because, you know, she just something as simple as knowing how to register yourself at a hospital. Like she just knew how that process worked, right? Like this stuff can be pretty overwhelming. Just hospitals overall can be overwhelming. So to have her, uh, not only be a nurse, but actually work at that hospital, it uh, definitely helped. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I know you said you had to do some self-advocacy as well. Uh, what what kind of things did you have to, to do that for? And, you know, was that uh, with the help of your mom and, and how, or how much of it did you do on your own? Yeah, the big one I can remember was initially when I had the diagnosis and we weren't quite sure on what we were looking at. I had a CT scan, but they were planning for an MRI. And, you know, we were fairly certain what it was, but they weren't 100% positive. And all of a sudden it was like, they gave me an MRI date, you know, in five months or something. And it's like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think that's right. So, you know, with just the constant calling and just, you know, explain the situation, you know, my mom would put calls in, I would put calls in. And you just have to, I found even now with my six month MRIs, the MRI departments, they're busy. Like they, but you have to advocate for yourself. Just recently, one of my MRIs didn't get booked, which I'm supposed to have every six months. So, you know, one call goes, well, I haven't, you know, I left a message. I haven't received my, I haven't got my MRI yet scheduled. And then, you know, if I don't hear anything back in a week, I'm calling again. Right. I just think, you know, the old saying, what is it? The, uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease, I guess. Yeah. yeah right on. So I, sometimes, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? It's, yeah. it's self yeah, and other people are in line, but I mean, I hope other people are doing these things as well. Right. If you got to advocate for yourself, we have a good healthcare system, but it's only as good as you use it essentially in right. my opinion. Yeah. So I, I know you talked about a lot of emotions you went through, you went through, you know, some bouts of frustration and anger and depression what did you do on your own to uh, kind of be able to manage that? Yeah. Again, I, I still stress on that, that family, that family aspect, both my parents, so supportive, my now wife, so supportive, all my friends and family, I had very close friends and family that were, you know, whether it was just a, just getting my mind off stuff, if they knew, if they knew it was a rough week, if, you know, if I just had finished radiation or if I was ready for a big actually preparing for the surgery, like they knew how to get my mind off it. And just my sister alone, she took me out for a, a baseball trip. We went right down to Cleveland and, you know, I'm, I love my baseball. And we went just, we went for a couple of days, just away, just to get my mind off things. And, uh, I just can't stress that enough of how much them helping got my mind off it and got my mind off of, you know, every day you wake up when you're going through this stuff, every day you're thinking about it, especially when you have to, you know, wake up, take your seizure medications, take your chemo medications. You can't help but think about it. Like you're, you never have a break. And it's, it was the best way for them to get my mind off it. Just constantly visiting me and planning things. And yeah, even creating this calendar that just, you know, had me, once I got back from the treatment, had to tick off the day and, you know, say how I was doing that day. And that was my, uh, my wife had a integral part in that. And yeah, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. So looking back from today to the first day when, when you had your accident, when you were on duty, getting your diagnosis, what would you tell yourself? And, and 
I ask that because you're one of our peer supports. You are, you talk to people one-on-one that are in the same situation. So what would you tell yourself in that situation? If you were calling up and said, Hey, Paul, this just happened. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is I tell everyone, you're going to have those emotions, no matter what you can't, you can't suppress those. So whether it's, whether you're more angry, whether you're more depressed or there's sadness or you're nervous, like you're going to have those emotions. I had all of them <laughs> in, yeah. throughout the whole time. And, uh, it's a matter of dealing with those. You can't, I just found if I just got stuck in the, the why me and kind of the pity, you know, that wasn't good for my health. I had to go out and coach baseball or go play some baseball or go see my, my girlfriend or go, you know, go for this road trip with my sister. I just had to go do things to get my mind off it. But when it can seem so daunting at the very beginning, when I knew when that initial diagnosis came, I knew I was in for a long road. Like, you know, what the oncologists were telling me, what the professionals were telling me, what I had Googled, you know, this was going to be a long road. And it was hard to not look at, am I ever going to be a police officer again? Am I ever going to live a, you know, quote unquote, normal life again? Am I ever going to be able to just drive again and have my independence again? It was so important that I just stuck to that motto of just one step at a time. Like I have an appointment today. I'm going to prepare for this appointment the best I can. And a lot of times you hear people that are going through cancer and they say, well, he, that person's a fighter. He's fighting. And it was frustrating to me because I felt so healthy. I felt healthy and I felt like I, there's no, nothing I could really do other than just take my medications properly. There was nothing, uh, that term fighter. It's just like, I don't feel sick. I don't feel like I have a brain tumor. Sometimes you'd forget I even have a brain tumor, yeah. but it was that just being prepared for every step, right? So if I was going to an appointment, if I was going to, you know, whether it's oncology, uh, neurology or whoever, my family doctor, just have all those questions prepared and just take one step at a time. Okay. Now I got through that appointment. Now what's next. Okay. Now it's the going into surgery. Okay. Let's, what can we do to prepare myself? And then having your whole family and your friends all help out with that, which is basically some of your question, your initial question is just, it's, it's one step at a time, one yeah. step at a time. And don't let your brain trail off onto what is five years going to look like? What's 10 years going to look like? It's one step at a time. Like we don't know, life is short. It doesn't matter what happens. You need the healthiest person ever. And uh, this stuff can happen. It's just one step at a time, I would say. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great motto and you know, that's a good way to live too. Right. And you know, I, I, um, I don't think there's any more to say to that really than, you know, great, great motto. I know you're involved in our, our walks, uh, our brain tumor walks. Uh, what got you involved in that? Yeah. I just, I knew about the brain tumor foundation kind of when I was going through treatment, but I just felt like, you know, I had enough support around me that I didn't need to reach out, but I felt like I needed to do something. And again, that goes back to, you know, I wasn't working. The only thing I was focusing on was my appointments and how to best, you know, get through treatment the best way possible and be an advocate for myself. So I thought what a better way to help by, you know, raising some money for the brain tumor foundation and involving myself in the walk. So I think our team's four years in and we're, we're just shy of $15,000, which is pretty impressive. I think through just family and friend donations and wow. using social media. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, just, impressive. I just, yeah, I just think anything that can make brain tumors, you know, 
someone that's diagnosed with a brain tumor, any money that I can provide or any help I can provide. And that's why I've decided to be a peer mentor where, you know, I know a lot of people that get diagnosed with a brain tumor, you know, doesn't have the support system I had. So if I can be one piece of that support system, and if I even doing this podcast, if I can give, you know, just if you take away one thing from what I've said today, I feel like I've helped someone. So I think that's the biggest thing. And I just, you know, I know I couldn't do it alone. I, I need those, those supports and those people that help me. So I'm just glad to be able to help in any way I can. And I will continue to help. And, you know, that's why, that's why I'm involved in the Brain Tumor Foundation. And, and, and we appreciate you for everything that you do, Paul. And it's a, it's a long road. You, you were years at it and there was a lot of struggles I see there, but uh, really good for you for, for getting back at it. And congratulations for being back at your, your job, your dream job, um, and, you know, and doing it well. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for spending some time with Paul and I. And um, we look forward to seeing you again at another one of our Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada podcasts. Thanks a lot, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hugh, for everything. <laughs>